Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the RevOps Podcast. I am your co-host, Brandon Redlinger, and today we are, we're actually bringing out another one of our most popular episodes from the archive. So yes, unfortunately, you you do have to listen to a lot of Jordan still. Uh, Sorry about that. But uh, (laughs) you know what? Last week, someone told me that I... Uh, I, I sound like Jordan or we sound alike. They couldn't tell the difference between our voices. I, I've, I've never been more insulted in my life. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad for chirping him while he's not here to defend himself. But um, uh, as Jordan would say, sliding forward. I, I think I nailed that impression, by the way. But this week, we are revisiting an episode from our 201 Metrics series. We're talking about AE Metrics, and we're really talking about how to align your closers with your RevOps team and the rest of the organization. Now, in this episode, Jordan actually did kind of throw us a curveball in the beginning. We started talking about one thing that we did not discuss us talking about, but I think Jonathan and I adjusted nicely and uh, frankly hit it out of the park. But I'll let you guys decide on that. Uh, this one goes really deep into a lot of metrics that you might not think be thinking about. Of course, there's things that everyone knows to track, like revenue, like pipeline, that sort of thing. But we're also talking about a lot of other things. So without further ado, here is episode 17, AE Metrics Masterclass, Advanced Sales Metrics that you must be tracking. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Jordan Henderson, and I'm joined today by Brandon and Jonathan, as usual. Go ahead and say hi, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, hey. Nice. I said that I like, like I expected them to reply, actually. You really you, you <laughs> did. You, you left like a little pause. I also always, I always say, say hi, guys. As in, like, hey guys, say hi to you, and then one of you always says hi guys. Like, hi guys. You just, <laughs> just, just totally parrot what I've told you to say. So I appreciate that you let me drive the conversation to that degree. Um, cool, awesome. Well, I'm excited about today. Uh, so, so uh, we've got a continuing episode of RevOps 201 series, which is super, super exciting. And today we're going to talk about probably like the most easy, fundamental, like low hanging. Yeah, we probably should have talked about this first thing. We've, we've done SDR metrics and alignment. We've done CS metrics and alignment. And we haven't done AE metrics and alignment, which feels a bit off, but totally fine. We started where we started. Deal with it, everybody else. Um, <laughs> but but obviously, like pretty fundamental aligning your, your, your closers to the rest of your revenue operation, right? Like sort of, sort of like one of the, the key places where revenue operations uh, specifically starts. And so I've got a couple metrics today that I think are super important. Maybe a couple that'll catch people off guard and they'll be like, hmm, I don't know why I'd be looking at that as a sales metric. We'll find out. Let's get weird. Let's get weird about it today. All right. Like let's, <laughs> let's have some fun. Yeah, let's let's get let's get Jonathan level, you know, fish tank, reef tank camera <laughs> lens <laughs> weird about today's episode. Um, so I want to start with a, a metric that that probably isn't typically assumed as a sales metric. And like what we're gonna do is our typical thing. We're gonna look at some sales, what I would call sales diagnostic metrics, things that are telling me about the health of my sales team. 
specifically as it relates to the rest of my revenue operation. And they're helping me diagnose problems that I can dive into, other things, places I can solve things, actual problems that exist within my entire revenue operation. So the first metric I want to talk about is fun to say as an acronym, not as a word, ARPU. Does anybody does anybody want to talk about ARPU? Who wants who wants to define some ARPU for me? Wait, I thought we were talking about ARPA. Nope, we're going to yeah, talk about ARPU. I I changed it up on you, and I have reasons oh, okay. why. We All can right. talk about that, but we're talking about ARPU. By the way, is, I, you guys read the thing that I sent you for the first time ever. Yeah, so we thanks for prepared. Thanks, thanks for bringing prep work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who, who wants to define ARPU? I want to go back to ARPA because that's the one I researched. Uh, i'm familiar with arpa i mean ever average revenue per user i i I feel like generally that's more of a b2c or maybe a lower acv uh metric that you look at um probably more companies that we are talking to or that we're selling to are looking at average revenue per account i would assume there's there's a there's a reason i don't like revenue per account though just so you know which which is it there's really easy ways for businesses to fix a bad ARPA by saying, great, we're just going to sell to enterprises with tons of headcount and tons of like money, right? Like, we're, gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're just going like, to not sell small deals anymore because average revenue per account is obviously drastically skewed when you sell that you know, tiny deal to a tiny customer. But that's still a deal. It's still a customer. And, so, and, that, and that's typically how cust- like, companies think of, like, oh, let's fix ARPA by not... Like, we'll just sell bigger deals, like only bigger deals. We'll just cut out the bottom of it and like, cool, like, cool. So you actually have less revenue, but your ARPA is great. Good job. Like, wonderful for you. <laughs> good, good work. That's exactly what the goal was. Um, so I like ARPU because it, it actually sort of discounts that, right? Like, you you aren't looking at small deals as different to large deals. It's just users. So if a small deal has less users, it's, it's average revenue per user, um, which is why I changed it, by the way. It's why I changed it from ARPA to ARPU because uh-huh. I, I hate I hate the way that companies typically think of solving that. And I also know that Jonathan's very passionate about like not solving problems by getting rid of revenue. So yes. he was going to have a bit of a conniption about that. So I wanted to avoid a, a Jonathan Stevens meltdown on today. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, um, cool. I mean, that's a good that's a good definition. So I did, the way I would measure ARPU is you can measure it annually or, or monthly. You essentially take your ARR, your MRR of, of your customers and divide it by the total count of your users in those same customers, right? Um, and you can do this, by the way. A lot of companies like just look at ARPU as a top-down company-wide metric, and, but you can do it like quarter over quarter basis. So you could track like of the deals we've signed this quarter of the new business deals we've signed this quarter. What's our ARPU? And this is a actually a really good leading indicator of some things that you might want to fix in your revenue organization or some things you have fixed and things are going better, right? Like it's a good way to track your, your current progress because all of that's going to play into your success as a business. It's a, it's a leading indicator for your health of your business and a diagnostic metric as opposed to ARPA, which just causes your executive team to say, great, don't sell small deals. Um, <laughs> no SMB. So, no SMB. Um, <laughs> so, any thoughts on this so far? Um, Brandon okay. is slacking people right now. Just so you know. <laughs> he, he has tuned out. He is annoyed that this has changed. It's because you pivoted on us. If it I was know. Arpa, we'd be I can see, but I can see his eyes just like <laughs> off to the side, just immediately slacking somebody like... Probably talking <laughs> shit, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Jordan's talking about can't believe this Jordan guy. Man, I tell you what. All right. So, any thoughts so far? No, I think you nailed it pretty good. Okay, 
Cool. I appreciate that. Thanks for the vote of confidence, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so my ARPU is bad. What do I do about it? Like, this is the question we want to do with all metrics, right? I'm looking at the metric to find out, like, hopefully I don't have to ask that question because I look at it and I'm like, hey, shit, my ARPU is great. Good job, everybody. High five. Keep doing what we're doing, right? Like, that's, that's, that's the end goal for everybody. Typically not the result, though. Most of the time you're looking at metrics because things aren't great and you're trying to fix things. So my ARPU is bad. What do I do? How do I fix that? Where do I start? You have to. I think first off, you have to start to analyze why you aren't expanding into certain accounts, why they aren't setting up new users in your tool. It's a, it's a great question. Like, um, first, I mean, gathering users is helpful. Like, what? Why aren't they expanding usage of your tool across those same users, right? And so, I mean, the, the first place I would start is, is actually my pricing. Um, like if my ARPU yep. is bad, yeah, maybe I'm just not go. charging enough money. Like, like it's my pricing model just totally screwed to how I'm acquiring customers. And, and that involves like going to my deal desk and saying, what are the most common products we're, we're selling per user? Right. And, and looking at that metric across the board and here's the products that they actually are adding. Am I not structuring my deals in a way to do this, to actually increase my ARPU? Like they're adding all these products. Are they the cheapest products? Is that, is that how I've, you know, hurt myself here? If that's true, super easy, solve, change your pricing, fix your pricing. We did a whole episode on pricing. Brandon was really heavy in it. I apologize for pointing everybody to it, but go listen to it. It's actually pretty helpful. You're um, welcome. <laughs> but, <laughs> but first place I would start is pricing. And then, Jonathan, to your point, is is great. So, like, got a bunch of users. They're not paying us much for them. Like, we're not getting a ton of, like, why aren't they adding things? Why aren't, why aren't they adding other features and products that are going to cost more money to help us, you know, increase that? revenue per unit right it's a great place Mm -hmm. to start well going off of that like look at uh, i think you can also look at how much you're discounting right because like you're 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 building your models off of most likely full price right um and then you know kind of rule of thumb is you don't want to be discounting more than 20 percent um and hopefully you're you're building increases for every uh, you know additional contract that you sign with them so maybe it's Maybe it's a standard four percent increase. Maybe maybe you can inch it up to six percent, maybe eight percent. Um, but just make sure your reps aren't just like straight up discounting. Yeah. I, mean, I, I I will tell you there, there was a period where uh, I was evaluating a bunch of different software. Um, the vendors, like, I didn't even ask them. They gave me the price and they're like, "But we'll give you a twenty percent discount." It's like, dude, I, like, okay, you just, you just sweet, sweet. flushed money down the toilet there, but I appreciate that. Just, tanked, you, ask just tanked your ARPU. Like immediately, just tanked it, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. It's like, but, no, uh, but it's, it's horrifying. It's also, by the way, one of the, the early things I do, implement a deal desk. Like you have exactly, to have a deal yeah. desk, even if it's not a person, but you have to have a deal desk that's watching this and going like, oh my God, this person, this company is only going to be paying us $30 per user. Like, no, that's unacceptable. Like that's not a deal we can sign off on. That's that's not okay, right? Somebody has to be checking this and, and fixing your pricing as well. Love that. Discounting, hugely important. Great point, mm-hmm. Brandon. Two points, Brandon. Jonathan, you're only at one. Okay, Just so you know. Here comes uh, another. <laughs> Here comes another. How buggy is your product? Are your are they not expanding because they're experiencing a lot of bugs, a lot of outages? That could be something you could look into as well. That's that's a that's a great point. And and two then two. so so like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, I, I'm, I have no regrets that I just started this. Um, but, <laughs> um, but so 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 that would, that'd be like the first place I would look, right? And that's that's actually I know people are going to be like, well, well, you're like not really doing revenue operations there. 
hell yes, you are. You're aligning it to your total, your like business operation, right? Like I'm aligning my pricing model and my deal desk back to my sales team to make sure what my sales team is doing actually aligns to my top line business goals, which is revenue operations. Um, but the next thing I do, so say that's all done, right? I've got my pricing all buttoned up. I know my discount limits are great. I've got a deal desk check and everything. I feel real confident that I'm not signing any bad deals. And I've got my product team working overtime. I doubled my headcount over there. We're fixing the crap out of that problem. That's all great. My ARPU's still not fixed. Product training and enablement. Because what's happening, what's frequently mm-hmm. happened is almost certainly you're not pushing the other products in the deal cycle. You're, you're selling one or two core products that people feel comfortable selling, that marketing feels comfortable marketing, and other things are falling to the wayside. And you're not increasing ARPU by not adding those other things in. And you're not training and enabling your sales and marketing team to push those things, which are going to be easy ways to increase ARPU. There's the easiest way to increase ARPU for anybody listening that has multiple products is sell multiple products to the same users, right? Like that, that's, that's the sort of name of the game here. But if your sellers aren't enabled to do that, it's not, it's not going to work. And so product training and enablement around additional product offerings and product lines, super, super important for ARPU. Then targeting, because a lot of times when you go look at ARPU, and you go look at it and say, great, ours is bad, except for in this one customer segment. Like everybody we sell to in the finance segment, we have great ARPU because they love these four products, whereas everybody else loves two. Okay, marketing, we can, we got to go after finance people, right? Like they have the highest return on investment for us because the ARPU is through the roof, which is a really easy way to change your ICP. Like this should absolutely play into your ICP. If you know specific segments, specific verticals, specific customers have a higher propensity for buying multiple products, that absolutely needs to be factored into all of your targeting and is information that you're going to get from past sales in well sales into deal desk that you should feed back to your marketing team. That's yeah, like that's five, five points. I'm just like LeBron yeah. Jamesing you guys. Right now. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's just trying to, he mutes us and then he goes on. <laughs> he, goes on he steals all of our notes. <laughs> uh, what, what else? What else am I missing? Hmm. Yeah, I think what we said so far has nailed it. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, we'll we'll insert the Jeopardy theme song in right there. Just all right. I mean, all right. hit on that. Cool. I mean, I, and I think ARPU is is like I said. I think a lot of people think of it as just like a finance metric, but I actually think it's a really important thing for your entire revenue operation to track. So it's a thing that if you're not looking at, you should be. And uh, if you have questions about it, message me, and I will argue about why ARPA is a terrible metric. Is all you want. <laughs> um, it's a vanity metric. It's a vanity metric. That's all I'm gonna and say. Whatever. That enablement uh, point is so big too, because no matter where you are, you'll see green reps who just have no idea what all products the company offers and. They can't speak to it. They don't understand it. it. It's ugly. So the better you can enable your reps out of the gate, the more yeah. success you're going to have. And and continued enablement, right? Because what what is what is the rule? Like the Ebbinghaus curve. Brandon Brandon will know what it is. I'm sure. Um, you you forget like ninety percent of anything you learn within like. 30 days, month, something yeah, like that. Yeah. 86 in a month. Eight, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, I, I knew you would know this, but <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was close actually. I'm pretty yeah, proud yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. All right. Um, but, but like, yeah, you, so it's, it's not just like, yeah, new reps, of course, but like your old reps too. Like they've forgotten it. Of course they've mm-hmm. forgotten it. Everybody forgets everything where we are. If it's not top of mind, it's out of mind. Is, mm-hmm. is the reality, right? Um, which is a very poor way of describing the Egghouse Curve. Thanks, Brandon, for filling that in for me. Um, <laughs> I read it in a book. No, I'm just kidding. 
in his in readings. Book. In a book. <laughs> That's me, W-H-I-T-E. Uh, <laughs> some one listener is going to get that dodgeball reference. And yeah, yeah. Like, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> if you haven't watched dodgeball, go watch it. You'll get the reference. Thank you. Um, all right. We're having a weird day. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> uh, it's mostly me. I'm aware. All right. So, so I'm going to dive into the, the next metric. Um, and this is maybe... Uh, it's a metric, but it's like a, a bit of a broader version of looking at a metric. And I know Jonathan's going to be super passionate about this one, so I'm actually pretty excited. Pipeline slippage, mm. which which is a very fun, <laughs> fun metric and has a weird noise. Don't ever do that again. Uh, <laughs> but, all right, so pipeline slippage. Um Pipeline slippage, slippage in general, is changing in closed dates. I'm going to fill this one in for you guys because you're not going to get it right. Oh, I'm going to get it. Slippage is changing in closed dates, typically seen, by the way, as changing it to later in time. So what what, what people typically think of pipeline slippage is like this deal was projected to close this quarter and then the rep goes in, changes the closed date to you know the next quarter, it's pushed. And that's true. That's probably the most common version of slippage. But when you're looking at pipeline slippage, it's actually also very important to look at slippage forward because there is a lot of stuff where reps will say, great, like this deal is for this quarter and they'll say that in month one and then they close it that month and it has slipped two months forward somehow. And that's, that's valuable information too. Like that's not that common. I hope it's more common for you, yeah, but exactly. it's, it's still slippage, right? It slips it's slips one way. It's a, it's, it's a high class problem for sure. <laughs> um, but it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and pipeline slippage in general, like why does it matter, right? It's actually, this is the thing that I think people forget. People measure loss rates, right? Like there's how much pipeline we lost this quarter. Cool. Super helpful. By the way, slippage is typically a bigger percentage of your pipeline than closed loss. Like it, it just typically is. And so what you're looking at, if you're looking at closed one and closed loss and you're not looking at slippage, you're looking at a very small percentage of your overall pipeline to find out what's going right and what's going wrong. And the bigger piece of your pipeline and why it's moving around is just not being analyzed at all. Hugely problematic, right? Um, so, so asking why you lose deals is one piece of the puzzle. Identifying why you win deals is one piece of the puzzle. But sometimes the biggest piece of the puzzle is why are deals slipping? Why are, we, why are they pushing and you're not asking that question. So that's why it's important. You need to know that the answer to that question, especially if you have a messy pipeline, because deals will just slip forever and they're basically lost. But you'll be missing those. So what am I missing before we move into the, 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 the logical next question? What, what about pipeline slippage am I missing? I think you got it. <laughs> not gonna argue I there. Right. I'm not going to say I'm it. a pipeline <laughs> slippage expert. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sick. I wish you were. I'm going to bring a pipeline slippage expert onto the next episode um, as soon as we find one. So, um, so though, pipeline slippage in general, super important thing to look at and, and, uh, can, can be very indicative of, of your business health and like things you need to improve on, right? It's a great diagnostic metric and it's a great way to like improve your entire revenue operations. So, so I'm the head of RevOps, I'm looking at my pipeline quarter over quarter and I'm like, oh my God, I got 60% of my pipeline slippage, delayed slippage, right? Like none of it's good. Nothing's moving forward. We've got delayed slippage quarter over quarter happening like crazy. What the heck am I going to do first? Usually when I'm on the other end of that and I'm slipping on someone else, it's usually a lot to do with the sales process and them just not being buttoned up 
on their end to a point where I can easily come in and sell this internally and get it across the finish line. So I think that's why you see a lot of discounts and things like that happening at quarter's end because mm. there's a lot of pipeline that needs to get accounted for that if they get a little discount in, they won't screw up their slippage and their pipeline forecasting. Man, I love that you've put yourself into the buyer's shoes to talk about <laughs> this, actually. So so say more about that. Like, you're the buyer. Mm-hmm. And and they're and they're like Jonathan, we need to get this deal done end of October. It's it's October nineteenth today, mm-hmm. and you're like, eh, maybe in November, <laughs> <laughs> you know? You, yeah. Um, why? It, what's the experience? What are you? What, what's the experience? You better have your sales process buttoned up. I better know exactly what I'm getting, exactly what I'm paying for, exactly what I'm not getting. If that's all unclear, then I've got to spend extra time figuring that out, and that's extra time that's going to potentially cause slippage. So I think that's the biggest driver is just not having it buttoned up as far as providing the prospect with resources that they're going to be better educated about what they're getting. And then also training, understanding how long it's going to take to stand up the tool and, and train on the tool. That's going to be a big piece of the puzzle as far as when you decide you're going to stand it up because you're going to need to allocate resources to be able to stand the tool up. So you're going to have to be really aligned with your timeline and the sales timeline. It's it's helping your prospect build a business case for your solution, mm-hmm. right? Like a- anytime I go to my CMO and say, I want this this piece of software, I, I have to outline exactly why I want it, what's the return that I'm going to get, how quickly I can see that return, the price, uh, the contract, like all of that stuff. Like I, I'm, I, and I want to work with uh, the, the, the uh, vendor to help me mm. actually put something accurate together. Because if if he's actually telling me something that is very inaccurate, I sell it to my CEO or CMO, um, and it's it's inaccurate, I look terrible, and so does the vendor, right? So it's like w- w- we need to create, like work together to create a real business case for this solution. Yeah, yeah it's, then- it's like a bad buyer's journey, right? Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. And then if you get into the enterprise space, you also have to include legal and you got to get all the terms of service checked off and all the contract information signed off on. So there's a lot that goes into, especially on the enterprise side. And how and how hard or difficult a company makes it to get through legal is is a pretty big cause of slippage, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, I'm a little closer to that than a lot of people since since, my my background Mm -hmm. in law. But like. Procurement can be so slow. Like oh, it yeah. can be just terrible. And and if that's causing problems or you're not getting procurement started early enough in the process, like that's purely dysfunction in your buyer's experience, like your sales process, right? Um, super, super problematic. So um, there's a lot of reasons. I think I think that this is actually super helpful, like sort of talking about from the buyer's version, you know, like here's reasons I would slip. Here's reasons I just totally kick the can down the road, which by the way, like when somebody slips – and somebody says, hey, you know what, maybe we'll revisit that in two months. What they're saying is, I have a problem. And I've identified that I think you can solve that problem. But I'm not confident enough that you can solve that problem. And I'm not confident that you you haven't convinced me you understand it and can solve it in a way that's enough, it, it, good enough for me to have urgency to, to go solve this thing right away, right? Hmm. Um, I would almost look at they haven't joined the team enough. You haven't became a team on my yeah. team you're just still on that other team trying to figure out how to join us up. Yeah, totally. You're not invested in this the way that I am. And so it's easy for me to kick it down the road. Totally. 
Um, so, so the first thing I would do, you know, and as from an ops standpoint, if I got bad slippage and this is happening and like, this is super helpful, slip reasons. Like if, if you're pushing mm-hmm. a deal, changing the date, track that information. Why is this totally. happening? It's, it's <laughs> the same as lost reasons, right? Like you mm-hmm. should be tracking this. Like, okay, anytime, you know, put in validation rules, set up pick lists that require people to do this, iterate what those fields are and track what's happening. What that's going to allow you to do is then say, great here's all of our slip reasons, here's who's experiencing them the most, and what you're going to inevitably find is that some reps aren't slipping deals. Like, there's going to be a handful of reps that are just like, I say this is going to close this quarter, it's going to close this quarter. And there's going to be a handful of reps where, oh my God, nothing they've ever committed has closed. And <laughs> it's just, and, and like, that's just the reality, but that's an opportunity to go analyze what the reps that aren't slipping are doing differently and then scale that across your team, Right. And, and, and that can be sale enablement stuff. Go ahead. And maybe that's just part of it. And you have to adjust your forecasting to account for that and just benchmark that's your slippage rate. Maybe yeah. maybe you can't get past that slippage rate. No, I, that's exactly it. Like you're going to have slippage. It's inevitable. Totally. You have to build totally. that into your forecasting model so that you're not screwing a, a yourself thousand, when you're forecasting. A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. Like this a thousand percent informs your forecasting. It has to, right? Yeah, exactly. like, cha- change your forecasting. Train on forecasting too, because if your refs are all committing yeah. stuff that's not doing it, like maybe there's some training on forecasting that needs to happen. There's enablement around the deal process because obviously we've, we've talked about the reasons we slip and almost all of them are related to buyer's experience on, on our side. And so that's sales training and enablement that's super, super important. And what you would do is find the rep that's not experiencing it, take what he's doing and train the whole rest of the team on how to do it differently differently, right? Super, super valuable. Um, And then there's other things you can do across the top of this, right? Like if I'm losing a ton of pipeline because like I'm slipping deals, slipping deals, slipping deals, work with your marketing team, get marketing pipeline coverage, have them run ads, run campaigns against your current pipeline to help identify other advocates, to create urgency, to, to make your company a partner to this other company, right? Like those things will help. They will move the needle to fixing this problem. And, and then set KPIs around it, like actually have slippage goals, right? Like not only use the, the slippage that you've had in the past in your forecasting, but then have goals of improving it or goals of maintaining where it's at at least, but actually have KPIs and track to them as a business. You know, one metric to this that I don't think is measured anywhere that probably should be, but it would be difficult to get after on the buyer side. I've always experienced the lower amount of tenure somebody has at the company, the harder it's going to be for them to sell a tool and at the company. So if you understand that this guy's been here 10 years versus six months, that tenure guy is going to have a lot easier time getting things procured, getting RFPs figured out, knowing who to contact within the company to get it sold. Whereas the guy that's been there six months is going to have a very uphill battle getting all that figured out for the first time. Totally. That's such a great point. And it's also company to company variance, right? So like at Ring DNA, we sell mostly to you know sales and ops leaders and sales leaders particularly have an average tenure of like 17 months. So like it's it's actually very rare to find like a VP of sales has been at that business for 10 years as the VP of sales. It's not a thing that is frequently happening. But if you're at a company where it's like finance, maybe it's totally different. And so it's different to your business and definitely a thing that I think would be really interesting to pull. I don't know how you would do it, but yeah, it be would tricky. be really interesting to pull. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to see that data if somebody has it. Anybody listening knows how to do this. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. Um, and then there's one other thing that I would do, by the way, if I have a ton of slippage, and this is actually super important, is remove lazy slippage. And And what I mean by that is, Every quarter, at the end of the quarter, in the final 10 days, 
your sales reps are going to go into Salesforce and just start moving everything into the next quarter. <laughs> like, like it's just because it, it's, it's the reality is they probably should have done it over the past three months, but they just haven't because they've been working deals, they've been doing other things. And that's just lazy slippage. And it means I have a spike in slippage month of, like month three of every quarter, right? And the way you remove that is just share the data early, share it often, enforce a clean pipeline. Don't let deals sit like as, as an ops team, right? Like communicate this very clearly to the team. And if you start to see that happening, then, then, then you you need to share data more frequently. You need to set better expectations around that because it's it's skewing your metrics, frankly. Like it's just not helpful. Um, and and if I'm a sales rep, if I'm doing something like slips re- slip reasons, and I have to go move 20 deals into the next quarter, I'm just like batch updating slip reason to like one standard thing, and that data is ruined forever. Then too, so it's just ruining everything. So it's super important to keep that hygienic. Well, I, I also think you have to make sure you're not incentivizing reps to to keep slipping deals, right? Instead of like mm-hmm. closing them out. Cause I mean, I've, I've been in situations where a rep is incentivized not to close out deals. Mm. Um, yeah. and so all, all they keep doing is that that same account keeps getting pushed and keeps getting yep. pushed and keeps getting pushed. Yeah. And Constant it's like pipeline. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> so but, it's like, but it, it, it's a perfect segue into our next metric, which is conversion rate instead of win rate. Because win rate is exactly what you're saying. Win rate is rewarding, right. not closed, losting deals. Like, <laughs> does any, does any, which, which I love that. Because, yeah, totally. Like, just, oh, great. I have 5X pipeline. Like, cool. But that one deal has slipped seven times. Like, right. I don't really understand why it's still in there. Um, which, yeah, so which, by first the way, pay attention to, yeah, to are, are the same deals continuing to slip yeah or is it the same which, rep or you know which whatever. which which is actually a thing uh i'm gonna jonathan if you want to make an asana card we should figure out how to track how many times the deal has slipped quarter over quarter so like Ooh. every time it pushes to a new quarter that's a slip add one on right like if you could mm-hmm. if you could go into your pipeline and see hey here's the deals that have slipped 18 times and we could just strip them out because then, like, what, what's that telling me is one of one of two things is true, right? I'm either it either have a really messy pipeline with a bunch of deals that should be closed, lost, or we're never qualified, or I got reps working a ton of deals that are probably never going to close, and that's a whole lot of wasted time. And there's probably some in between on all of that, but it'd be great to identify that and figure out how to fix it, right? Yeah, I am noting that now. <laughs> sometimes we learn as we go i love this right. this is su- super super interesting conversation actually slip i knew slippage was going to be such a weird topic but i love it, I love it. <laughs> okay so i think we've talked a little bit about conversion rate in the past i want to talk about it a little bit more today um i'm going to let open this one up for a definition who wants who wants that conversion rate definition uh you go for it jonathan <laughs> <laughs> So conversion rate would just be the amount that's getting converted. Why, 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 <laughs> why, why I let Jonathan go first is like everyone defines it differently. Like, right? Like everyone defines it differently. It, it, that's kind I of mean, what drives me crazy yeah. about conversion uh, benchmarks too. True. Yeah, it's, it's true. But I, I'm talking about pipeline conversion rate. So what I'm saying is uh, I'm rubbing my temple right now because Jonathan. <laughs> There's this spot right here on the side of my head. That's the just. It's the Jonathan uh, spot. Sometimes, sometimes I get a reef tank photo and I just have to like put a little pressure on it. Um, the uh, pipeline conversion percentage is the ratio. I have it defined as the ratio of business close within a given period of time versus the open pipeline measured at the start of that same period of time. Right. That's why. Which I said. is. Yeah. 
Sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's different than win rate because what you've done is you say, hey, like I had $2 million in pipeline at the start of this quarter and I closed $400,000, which means I've, I have a pipeline conversion rate of 20%. Good, good pipeline conversion rate, by the way. 20%? Great. Good for you. High five. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's different than win rate in that it doesn't discount deals for slipping. But to back to Brandon's point from before and why I thought it was a nice segue is you don't want to reward slipping. And a lot of businesses look at win rate and say like, ah, oh, this rep has a great win rate. And win rate is typically measured as the amount of closed one deals over a given period of time divided by the amount of closed one plus closed loss deals over a given period of time. So you can have a great win rate if you never closed loss a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just slip everything over and over and over. And reps know this. Reps are not dumb. Like I know people are like, yeah, like whatever. Like they'll be honest. No, they won't. They just won't. Like it's fine. Like, but, but like, and I wouldn't either. Like if I was being held accountable to a win rate percentage, of course I'm going to keep deals open longer than I should. Like yeah, it, it doesn't make any sure sense. That, that deal yeah, needs to close. Like it, it, that, that guy better have sent me a middle finger emoji. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. that thing's staying open, right? Like, like, we're, we're on a text basis. It's good. <laughs> He'll get over it. Yeah, we're, we're friends. So, so, but I love conversion rate because it doesn't get rid of those things. It accounts for slippage. It accounts for loss rate, right? It's actually just purely like it sets expectations around if I have this amount of pipeline at the start of this quarter, I should expect that I, this is the amount that I will close. And you can look at it quarter over quarter over quarter, right? And like actually set that standard. It's actually a very good projection metric to start to predict like what's going to close in the future for your business. Um, better, better in a lot of ways. It's a simple way to forecast. So I think of it as a fundamental metric. And this is going to be a really broad one because there's 400 things, but we're going to have to keep it very fast. Bad conversion rate. My bad. My pipeline conversion is like 3%. What am I doing? What do I do next? Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a few things. So want to start? Not- want, to, want to list them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with qualification. Are you actually qualifying the right deals early on? Are you opening up deals that should be open? Because if, if you're not converting at that rate, then something's going wrong where you're probably opening deals that weren't ready to be open yet. So that's the first thing I would look at. Yeah, it's totally fair. Like, am I basically like looking at where is my, where in my deal process am I getting stuck, right? Mm-hmm. What's well, like, is, is that pipeline actually qualified pipeline? Which that's is a good question. Right, well, yeah. which a, a lot of companies define pipeline differently, right? I was talking to a buddy of mine who, uh, their, their company defines pipeline as soon as a meeting is set. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. the AE doesn't even have to take it as soon as the meeting is set. That's pipeline. That's different than uh, companies in the past where I've worked at. It's like the AE actually has to have that. You have to meet all the criteria, and then they still get to decide whether they flip it or not. That is yeah. very different. Which is kind mm-hmm. of why, like going back to what I was saying earlier, I, like conversion rate has to be clearly defined in the beginning and why I don't like people benchmarking themselves against other companies because you don't know if that company defines pipeline the same way you do. Yeah, totally, totally fair. And, and, and the way you're looking at pipeline is also super important because of where you're at as a business. So, so what I would use as an example there, and, and this is just a thing for anybody that's scaling rapidly. If you're relatively flat as a business and you're just sort of continuing performance, 
this is a really easy metric to look at, right? Like I was at 20% last quarter, I want to be at 20% this quarter. If I'm scaling rapidly and I'm doubling my marketing budget and I'm doubling my pipeline and I'm doubling my sales team like quarter over quarter as fast as I can, your pipeline conversion percentage is going to drop because what's going to happen is the month before the new quarter, you're going to add $4 million in pipeline and it has no chance of actually closing in the next quarter, but it's factored into that equation, right? So what you've got is a much higher total pipeline, but it's all, it's all new deals. It's all young stuff. It doesn't actually like have a chance of closing. So, so you need to figure out how to account for that, or at least just adjust your goals accordingly, right? Like change your definition of, of how you do this and target this to account for those outlier things. Um, super important. Yeah. I think that's, that's totally the first place to start is make sure the pipeline is actually pipeline. Like this, this thing actually adds up for me, right? I still think it's a really good metric, but once you've sort of like cleaned that piece up, then, then what do I do? So like, great, I've cleaned up. It's all pipeline. I've done all this. I'm really confident in these numbers. My pipeline conversion is still not where I want it to be. Like, what, what would I do next to fix that problem? And I would also add, like, analyze how your demo process is going. Like, or get some feedback. When you're done with the demo, get some feedback. Did, did I present everything in a way that made you feel like you're confident in buying this product? Was, were there things missing when, during the demo that you would have liked to see? that's invaluable and that can give you some insight into what you didn't cover in the demo. And then in the future you'll know, okay, I need to do better on the next one. It's totally fair. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it goes back to like the deal process, right? Like where, where mm-hmm. am I, where am I falling off in my deal cycle? That's, that's causing me problems. Totally. And, and think it back to when I was a rep, um, one, one particular instance where everyone's conversions dropped was actually we 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 brought in a, a trainer from Spin Cell in Huthwaite, mm. um, and we actually changed the way we have conversations, right? So we did a whole week intensive where everyone sat down with the trainer, we went through the workbooks, we went through all of the books, we went through everything, and then for like it must have been like two months, everyone was trying to figure out how to actually implement Spin Selling, and mm-hmm. everyone's conversion rates just dropped. Right. <laughs> and, and it's it's something that like management never even took into account that it's it was going to be such a massive change. So if you're thinking about changing anything like your, your qualification process or just like um, any any sales frameworks that you have, you might want to think about how that might affect your seller's ability to actually close deals. Yeah, don't take change in anything you do in business lightly because yeah. it can have huge impacts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it is, right? And that's actually usually the goal: have a huge impact. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, well. like, you, you're not in the trying right to like n- not not change things and, and like have positive impacts, but yeah. Um. And, and eventually, our, our closure rates went back up, like above where they used to be, because it was hmm. a much better process than what we had in place before, and it was it was a phenomenal training. I'm a big fan of spin sales because of it um, but there, there was that period where you know right up front it's going to cost you a little bit give me right? an yeah. el- give me an elevator pitch of what spin selling is i don't think i've heard of that before uh, spin selling is it's just one of those methodologies uh developed probably like in the 80s by a company called huthwaite um and a guy named neil rackham actually wrote the book on it but it's a uh, situation problem implication need payoff uh, and basically you're going through those those four acronyms as you are um as you are selling that deal and yeah and and the the biggest change for us was just like really the implication part where it is really really digging deep into uh like 
it's almost asking why five times, right? It's like, okay, what, yeah. what implication does that have? All right, yeah. like, let's go one level deeper. Why layered, layered, why does layered that questioning to you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Try, trying to actually truly understand the pain points and the, the actual cause and the actual impacts rather than just like high level, here's the problem, and then moving on. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And taking yeah. that at face value because we all know that the problem that they have right in front of them or the one that they, they state isn't the actual yeah. underlying problem, right? Yeah. You have to totally. d- dig deeper. Totally. Um, and, and so, so like to that end, like what I would do if I found, if I was looking at it, like my pipeline conversion rate is bad, like it's, it's a great diagnostic metric to say, great, we're not converting enough of our pipeline to close one quarter over quarter. That's a huge fundamental problem for my business. Right. But that alone doesn't like point me where to solve it. says like, yeah, go, go do training and enablement for the sales team. Super important. Yes, absolutely. should do that. Um, what, what I would actually do first after, you know, cleaning up the pipeline, making sure that's all right is, is I would segment out the pipeline conversion data. So, like I need to know what my pipeline is for SMB versus commercial versus mid-market versus enterprise deal sizes as a segment, uh, different ages of deals, right? Like am I converting deals with a certain age better than ones without uh, lead sources? I'd like to see pipeline conversion by lead source, right? Like I would start to break it out into different buckets because that's going to let me actually identify problems that I can solve. So say I have a ton of pipeline from this certain infographic, but none of it ever closes. Like we got to like take down that infographic or change the infographic or train the sales team better on the the problem that infographic highlights. Like that's going to help me actually pinpoint things that I can have an immediate impact and solve and help me identify back to your point, what problems we aren't solving well enough to create urgency for buyers, right? Like if, if there's a bunch of problems being identified by a whole slew of different lead sources or for a specific segment or industry, and we're not converting those deals, then we're not solving that problem well enough as a product or as a sales team. It's just not happening or as a marketing team. And that's an easy thing for us to go train and resolve. But I, I need to segment it all into these narrow buckets to then identify how I can help each team improve. And that can be additional marketing resources, it can be tweaking marketing resources, it can be training on sales and enablement, it can be increasing conversion on the SDR side, it can be better discovery, it can be better demos, it can be better deal desk, all of those things make a 2% increase across the board in every one of those, and suddenly my conversion rate is better again, right? Totally. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the fundamental thing is, it's a great diagnostic metric, but I need to break it down into like 60 different buckets in order to figure out what I want to do best. Right? Exactly. I feel like we, we go back to this a lot, because one of the things I was going to say too, is like maybe something in your market has changed. And as a product marketer, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to be as close to that as possible. So yeah. if for whatever reason that... You know, we keep losing deals in healthcare. Maybe something changed there where I'm actually not able to sell effectively into healthcare or maybe it's a specific geo or anything like that. Yeah. So it's like that, that that's why part of that that like product marketing, that like market intelligence uh, really is going to come into play there. Totally. And like some things that you would never really know about otherwise, right? So like maybe we're looking at it geographically and I look at it and go, hey, you know what? Our conversion, pipeline conversion rate on deals in Florida is 0% because Florida passed this crazy new law right. yeah. that <laughs> prevents them from using our product. By the way, product marketing, like let's stop marketing in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> like it's, this is, there's not a thing we can do here. Let's fix this by like Let's stop wasting time and money, right? And and it helps me identify that there's gaps like that, but then I need to get that narrow data, which is kind of the theme of all these, right. is, is a great way to identify problems. And then here's seven more things you need to go look at to figure out what problems to actually solve. And that's that's 
RevOps 201. Welcome, everybody. Congratulations. (laughs) You've made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) You did it. Um, Cool. Any other last thoughts on that before I segue into this week on LinkedIn? No, I was, I was, I wanted to get Jonathan fired up to, for maybe he drops an F bomb or something, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll work <laughs> his, on that next time. His mom, his mom scolded him for swearing on the podcast. Oh, that's right. So, so okay. easily, he probably won't, and, won't get that. And, and our audience might think that I'm actually joking and making fun of him. I'm not. I'm actually not. His, his mom actually scolded him for swearing on the podcast. Jonathan, you turned forty in a couple of years. I just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> Man, I, I wish my mom, I tried to get my mom to listen. She doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Your mom loves uh, you, Jonathan. Your mom yeah, loves she you. Does. She <laughs> does. She does not love you when you swear, though. So. <laughs> she doesn't like swearing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope she listens to this episode and just calls you right away angrily. Uh, <laughs> all right. So this week on LinkedIn, we'll keep this one nice and brief. I know we've gone a little long today. So, um... David asks the question, which I think is a really interesting question, and, and just looking for a couple of tips, I think. Um, they're trying to undergo a cultural shift at his business. He's in revenue operations, where they are trying to get the AEs and sales managers to use the CRM. Oh, what? No. <laughs> what? Why would they do that? No. Well, yeah. I, I, David, first you got to ask yourself, is this the right thing? Yeah. <laughs> are you with the right company? <laughs> but... A problem I think we've all faced, probably. I think everybody listening to this probably has faced this. Like, people don't use a CRM, and that's yeah. a huge problem. What would be, like, two things? You would say, like, here's here's where I would start in getting people to use my CRM. Oh, man. That's a... It's a hard cultural shift. I've, I've been at companies where they just use spreadsheets, and they, they'll just export out of the CRM, and they just work out of their Excel sheet with phone numbers on it, and it is a disaster. So you, you really have to show them kind of the pain of not having the data readily available and kind of show them the big, I I think they don't see the big picture too. Sometimes they don't see that there's revenue operations, analyzing pipeline and analyzing forecasting and all that. So the more data they're putting outside of Salesforce, the more that gets lost and the less that can get analyzed and it just creates a mess for everybody involved. So I I think that's where I'd kind of start is just education and training. Yeah, what? Why does not putting that in CRM affect you? Like, how does that actually affect you as a rep? Like, a lot of times they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they totally don't know. They don't know right? the yeah. downstream effects and yeah, and and how that actually comes back around to to and, hurt or help them. I was gonna say, I think I think the biggest thing on that is I think training and enablement is super important. I think typically the way ops approaches that is to say like this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And actually, the best way to do it is like, if you put this data in Salesforce, like I can have our marketing team like run marketing ads against this business that you're working with. Yeah. Like I can, like, here's all the ways we can help you be better, right? Like I can have the implementation team queued up and ready to do this as soon as you close the deal. Like all of this is going to help you be better and help you make more money. Because if you tell a rep they're going to make more money, exactly. they will do it. Yeah. They will always do it. And um, another good, a good point to run by them is if there's no activity history on a lead that you've been working on your Excel sheet, somebody else can come and grab it and steal yeah. a deal right from under you. So, so somebody might give that person a call right after you did because it's not logged anywhere, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and setting that sort of level of like KPI and expectation, super, super important. The other thing that I would add, and then I think we can 
stop. We don't have to beat this dead horse. I'm going to actually shoot David like a huge response because this is a lot of things I think that we could put <laughs> yeah. together on this. Um, but, but I'm sorry, it, David. Like, yeah. <laughs> em- empower your, I actually, I actually sent him my calendar link and asked him to grab 45 minutes because I think <laughs> yeah. this is like, like, like legitimately, because I think this is a long conversation. Um, but, um, empower your sales reps to use your CRM in a way that's super easy. Right. And, and like, that's a philosophical goal of our product at ring DNA. So, so obviously we, we all sort of align to that, but I need to make it as easy as possible for my reps to use my CRM. I need to mm-hmm. make it so that they can just like in their casual workflow, be dumping data into the, into the CRM and like you, a dialer that automatically logs, automatically logging emails using like Salesforce inbox, super, super important. Right empowering that to happen in a way that actually just takes what your reps are already doing and make sure that ends up in Salesforce is a really easy step to get a lot of this data. Um, obviously the, the trick to that is, is budget sometimes, but it's still mm-hmm. what I would recommend. If you want a cultural shift, got to power it, got to make it easy with foundational things. Right. And, and there, there are, there are tools out there that actually make updating very specific fields in CRM Salesforce specifically really easy. Like, you know, people glass by people, AI, uh, we'll put all of the required fields or all the fields that you really want that a, a sales rep will actually use uh, right mm. there in one pane of glass. So you don't have to click around, search on the page, where to find it, like all of that in one spot, easy for you yeah. to update. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the Ring DNA dialer logs the fields directly into Salesforce as soon as you log. end the call. Exactly. Just automatically logs them in, right? Like, that's it. Reps don't even have to think about it. I don't, they don't even have to have Salesforce open. They're just calling people. And like it just logs the data and so, perfect. That's what I want. Like that's what my reps want, right? I don't have to tell them to log activities. They're logging them. I think the other part of is just managers. Like the managers need to enforce it with their reps and not only for the fact that they need to do that for the obvious reasons of analyzing data, but also so that they can keep track of how their reps are performing. How many dials are they making? How many how many conversions are they doing? They're not gonna be able to see that if you're working out of an Excel sheet. So yeah, you're never and if you're using improve. if you're using your CRM as a system of record to hold managers accountable as well, and also enable mm-hmm. them, and showing them that, showing them that again, education and training for managers is a whole different thing about why it's important. But yeah, totally equally important. Totally agree. Um, cool. All right. Well, that's that's a well probably part one. There's probably like 400 other AE <laughs> metrics we have to go into, but that's part one. Um, super. Everybody who's listening. Give us a five-star review. Send us your questions. Follow us all on LinkedIn. Give us a shout-out. Uh, like David, I have 45 minutes with you next week. We're going to talk about this in depth, and I'm going to probably be a shoulder for you to cry on by that point because this sounds pretty <laughs> terrible. I'm uh, looking forward to it anyways. But uh, thanks, guys, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. All right, David, if you're looking for a new job, we're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. See ya.